So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 29 of Pause and Connect, and it's called, Your Child Isn't Giving You a Hard Time. This is one of those phrases that can really be life-changing as a parent. Your child isn't giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time. That's the phrase, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm not sure where this phrase originally comes from. I tried to find the originator and couldn't. So if you happen to know who originally said, your child isn't giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time, please let me know. Um, but let's think about that phrase and why it's life-changing. I'll use my own parenting journey as a way to explain this. And as you're listening, you, um, you'll have your own insights come to your mind. So when my oldest turned three, it was like, she turned into this new child like where before she had been compliant and easy to manage. And I, I do say it that way. I very much thought that I was managing her. Um, now at three, she was defiant and unruly. And I was so shocked because she had been such an easy two-year-old and one-year-old. And I had assumed that the easiness was due to my excellent parenting. Huh. <laughs> uh, you know, we all know how that comes to kick you in the butt, right? So anyway, when she started to become defiant, I thought that there was something wrong with her, right? I thought she was out to get me. She was trying to make my life hard. Couldn't she see how easy things would be if she would just do what I said? Why did she have to be so difficult? You know, all those sorts of things were running through my mind. Um, also, you know, I, what happened to me? I was a good parent. Why am I not a good parent anymore? Why can't I control my child? All that sort all that stuff. And then I picked up a few years later, I picked up a book called The Explosive Child by Ross Green. Such a good book. And he taught the principle that children do well when they can, not when they want to, when they can. So if they aren't doing well, something is getting in the way. Now, this was a totally new concept to me at the time because I thought my child was naughty, defiant, manipulative, and I thought she was doing it all on purpose. After I began looking more into this idea that children do well when they can, I kept seeing the phrase, your child isn't giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time. And that resonated so strongly as well because we had really huge meltdowns, huge meltdowns. And I I thought like, again, like I said earlier, like, why is she making my life so hard? Why won't she just cooperate? It would be so much easier if she would just cooperate. What I didn't understand was she wasn't doing this to me. She wasn't giving me a hard time. She was having a hard time cooperating. That's really a different perspective. And I think this concept that children are not doing anything to us is so important and so needed in our world right now because parenting is hard and children are not always compliant. So we can either do what the world tells us to do and meet them with these tough punishments and nip their behavior in the bud, or we can absorb this concept into our being, this concept of children do well when they can, this concept of your child isn't giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time. We can absorb that into us and approach our children from a place of understanding. There are a million questions for how to handle 
this parenting problem that you're having right now and what to do when that parenting problem that you you had yesterday happens. And you can go in search of expert answers for everything and you'll find lots of answers. And of course, they're going to contradict themselves, um, but you, you can find answers. But this concept that your child is not giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time, that can ultimately turn you into the expert of your child. You are the expert of your child. And I just recorded an episode of that and published that. Um, so scroll back in my in my uh, podcast to see if you want to hear more about that, that you are the expert of your child. And this concept can help you become the expert of your child because it can ultimately repair so many of the issues that feel so difficult to handle right now. Really grasping this concept that your child is not giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time, that concept, really grasping it and making it the central tenet of your parenting is a really fundamental way to help you solve whatever situation you and your child are dealing with right now. It really is. It's powerful. Um, Child Mind Institute sums this up well on their website. They say, when children have frequent emotional outbursts, it can be a sign that they haven't yet developed the skills they need to cope with feelings like frustration, anxiety, and anger. So basically what they said is your child is not giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time. They haven't developed the skills they need. Hand, and they go on to say, handling big emotions in a healthy, mature way requires a variety of skills. It requires skills. And they say, including impulse control, emotional self-regulation, problem solving, delaying gratification, negotiating, communicating wishes and needs to adults, knowing what's appropriate or expected in a given situation. Woo, that's a lot. No wonder our children struggle to stay emotionally regulated when they're upset, when they're anxious, because they still have so many skills to develop. So take a deep breath. (sighs) Doesn't that sound so much more manageable that your child is lacking skills? Doesn't that sound so much more manageable than the idea that your child is trying to manipulate you, defy you, throwing fits and the like? Mindsets about parenting are so important. If you think your child is manipulating you, it's going to affect how you react. If you think your job is to nip behavior in the bud, it's going to put an unnecessary pressure on both you and your child. But when you recognize that your child isn't giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time, you can think about the idea that your child is still missing those skills mentioned earlier, like impulse control, emotional self-regulation, problem solving, delaying gratification, negotiating, communicating wishes and needs to adults, knowing what's appropriate or expected in a given situation. Man, like those, those skills, Knowing that those skills aren't developed, just that knowledge alone is life-changing, isn't it? Because when you know that your kids don't know how to do those things consistently, it, it makes it so you can, you can again understand like, wow, my, my kid is not being naughty on purpose. My kid is not acting out on purpose. My kid is having a hard time. Because without these skills, our kids blurt out inappropriate things. They fall apart when they get told no. They hit us when they don't get their way. They scream in public and on and on. All of those difficult, difficult behaviors, it's because they don't have the skills they need to handle them a different way. Because your child isn't giving you a hard time, your child is having a hard time. Kids do well when they can, not when they want to, when they can. All of those behaviors are hard. But when your child, when your mindset is that your child is manipulating you or purposely choosing to be defiant, it's going to make those behaviors even harder. It's going to make you feel like you have to whip them into shape, or it's going to make you feel like you're failing, or it's going to make you feel like you're never going to get control, 
or like you have to get control no matter what. It's, it's going to make us panic that we've all been there. We've all been there in those times when we don't know what to do and we feel like we have to get control. It makes us feel like we're failing. It makes us feel like we have to come down hard, all of that stuff. So that's why the phrase, your child isn't giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time is so transformational because now it's not about controlling your child's behavior or about feeling hopeless. It's about a child who is lacking skills because children naturally lack skills. Their brains aren't fully developed. And of course, some kids lack certain skills more than others. We come with different combinations of abilities. So some some skills, some, some children can emotionally regulate. Some children can communicate to their parents what they need, and some children can't. Some children can just kind of know what's appropriate or expected in most situations, and some don't, right? Like we have different skills. So uh, again, on Child Mind Institute's website, it it also says that meltdowns generally are not a voluntary behavior. And that's really important for us to remember. It's not a conscious thing. It's the only way our child knows how to respond in that moment. That's that's what the meltdowns are. That's what they know to do in that moment. This is such a freeing concept because it puts you in the problem-solving seat instead of the responding and reacting to negative behavior seat. It empowers you to take the time to figure out what's going on instead of feeling like you have to solve your child's issues right this instant, or you have to get your child to stop right this instant. It's really freeing in that way. Now, I know that there's, there's as you're listening, you're probably like, well, what about this? What about that? You know, like, like there's all, always some sort of scenario where it feels like it's just impossible to handle. So just keep listening over time in this, in this episode. It's, it's going to, I'm going to build on, on all of this. Okay. I just love this concept that your child isn't giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time. So how do we apply it? Well, understanding it is an excellent first step. And that's why I spent so long on talking about that because it's so important to understand this concept. When you understand it, like you are immediately empowered, immediately empowered. Even if you don't know exactly what to do in the moment, you do know when you're looking at your child melting down or you're watching them throw toys across the room, you do know that they're having a hard time. They're not giving you a hard time. And that changes things. That changes things. Even if you don't know the exact next step, that does change things because now you know what's going on in your child's brain. And when you know what's going on in your child's brain, you know you can be more in tune and you can know more what to do, okay? So anyway, here's here are some ideas on how to apply this concept. Um, these, these help me. Um, so this list isn't exhaustive. There are, you're gonna find other things that help you. Uh, but this, this is a good start. This is a good start. And some of this will really resonate with you and some of it might not. So here's, here's a few things. Okay. So first wait to talk to your child until your child has calmed down. That's really, really helpful and really important because remember that your child isn't giving you a hard time. So they're not in control of their emotions. If you say something like I used to say this a lot when, before I understood this concept, I used to say, I can't hear you when you whine and expected my child to be able to stop whining. But the reason they were whining is because they're having a hard time. So how can they stop whining if I haven't helped them regulate their emotions and, and helped them solve their problem, right? Um, it doesn't help when your child is yelling to be like, hey, 
you can't yell. We need to talk about this. You know, like that doesn't work. It doesn't work to to say while your child is hitting to try and have a conversation about that and say, hey, let me tell you, you can't hit. Let me tell you all the reasons why hitting is wrong. Um, I, I do want to amend what I just said because I said, let me tell you, you can't hit. Um, that just kind of flew out of my mouth. What I was meaning to say there was like, let me, you can't say, let me tell you all the reasons hitting is wrong. You can't have a conversation about it. You can set a boundary. You can say, we don't hit and then move your child away. You can do that. But this is not the time to say hitting, hitting is immoral and hitting is this and it's not the time to, uh, to elaborate on that while your child is hitting. Right. I hope that makes sense. Um, because remember that your child can't process that information while they're melting down. Because remember, your child is having a hard time. So your brain might go into problem solving mode. I, I know mine does. Like I see something happening and I, I want to like solve the problem and I want to explain what's going on to my kids. But you, it's really important to take a step back and not try and solve the problem, but to help your child get through their emotions first. So first... First resolve the emotions, then you can talk, then you can resolve the issue. Okay, so that's tip number one. This leads me to my next tip, which is to avoid trying to control and instead to connect. This is not the time to control your child's behavior. Again, going back to the hitting, like if if they're hurting themselves or somebody, you do need to um, to remove them or or remove the thing that they're using. You do need to step in and stop that behavior, but not in a not even in a controlling way. Still in a connective way, like sweetie, we don't hit and you move your child somewhere else and you stay near them and you stay low and you help them and, and you, you, you don't, you don't tower over them and wag your finger at them and tell them they're bad. You know, you see the difference? Like, and, and I'm not saying this is magic. I'm not saying your child's going to stop hitting. I am saying that that's a, a, the, a more connected way to handle the hitting. So because this isn't the time to control your child's behavior. Remember that they are dysregulated. So don't try, I'm going to put your toy in timeout until you stop, um, until you stop hitting or until you stop throwing your toys or whatever. That's just too much for your child to handle in this moment, to be hearing that, that threat and also be trying to manage their emotions. It's, it's too much. So don't say, well, if you, if you don't stop hitting your brother, you're not going to go to your friend's house. Like that's, that's trying to control them. And it may seem logical to your regulated brain, but remember your child isn't regulated. And so they're not thinking logically. So instead of punishing, skip those punishments and aim for connection instead. So I know that this, this is, I talk about this on my social media and, and there's, there's some people who really come after me for this. Um, so I, I do, I do want to really illustrate that this works. So keep listening. We, a, a really wonderful play therapist taught us this concept and, and it works and everybody who tries it, it works for them. Um, so what we started doing is we started using connection in those really bad times when our kid was screaming and melting down and our, our kid wasn't hitting. So that is a difference when, when there's hitting involved, you, you can't, you, maybe you can, you can maybe try going over and hugging, but they might just hit you. Right. So sometimes when it's like, I say, like if they're hurting somebody or they're hurting themselves, you, you can't go over necessarily and hug them. Although some, some might help that might, that might be the thing that they need, but not everyone, but, but so anyway, 
telling you what, what we did when our child was melting down, stomping around, yelling at us, screaming, um, throwing things hard, that kind of, that kind of behavior. We went over and we hugged our child when they started doing that. And we went over and we crouched down near them so that they could be taller than us and feel less threatened. We maybe put our hand on their shoulder or we told them we were sorry for how they were feeling. And then as we did this, we saw co-regulation at work because we were bringing calm with us and we were transferring it to our child. And then our child could then listen to us after they regulated themselves or co-regulated, I guess, as well. We all were feeling love instead of that intense anger that we had been feeling before. And a lot of times the problem wasn't solved yet, but we did feel confident we could solve it together because we calmed down together and felt love together. So this principle is so powerful, but it's also countercultural. So you almost have to be brave to try it. And like I say, people, they kind of attack me when I, when I mention this on social media. So, so it's, it's something that you, you might be hearing and feeling like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do this. So kind of examine that and think, why do you feel like you can't do this? Why do you feel like, and what is it? Is it because you've been given the control model your whole life? Well, this is a good time to challenge that. The control model is what we all had. Most of us had. It's what society wants us all to have. It's what society teaches. It's what everybody, all your, all your friends and family are going to tell you to control, but try, try this instead. I, I really challenge you to, to, to try the mindset of connection first. And what, what could go wrong, right? What, what is going to go wrong? Instead, like what's going to happen if you connect instead of yell? You're not going to yell. That's going to be good, right? What's going to happen if you connect instead of punish? Your child is going to learn from you. Your child is going to learn a lesson. That could be good, right? What would happen in your own heart, in your child's brain, if you're connecting instead of controlling? So it's, it doesn't hurt to try. Now I'm not advocating for letting kids run amok. Boundaries can still be set, but set your boundaries from a framework of connection instead of control. Like how I was trying to describe with, if your kid is hitting you, you do have to remove them and you do have to state your boundaries clearly, but you don't have to do it in a threatening, mean way, right? Like you can just calmly and um, compassionately talk to your child. We we don't hit sweetheart. I'm going to put you over here and I'm going to stay with you until you feel better. You know, that is better than standing over them and yelling at them for hitting and hitting them to get them to stop hitting and all of the things that 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 we do or we feel to do because that's that's kind of we're we're so many of us are operating on a control framework. So when you remove the control framework, you you still can set those boundaries, but you're, you're doing it in a connected way. And you, there's, you just keep going back to that connection. If it's not working in this connected way, then you try another connected way, but you don't give up because you're, this is, this is now your framework. This is now the way you do things. You do things in a connected way. So if it, if it's not working, you try another approach and you try another approach and you're in it for the long haul, because this is going to heal your child over time. This is going to heal your relationship. This is going to teach your child skills. So hopefully that all makes sense. Um, now, what if your kid doesn't want hugs? That's that's the example that I shared that my husband and I did with our oldest child. It worked really, really well for that child. Works really well for all of our 
all of our children, but not every kid likes hugs. So always keep in mind that you know your child best. So don't go and try and give them a hug if they don't want it, right? The big key in this principle is to focus on connection as your main goal. Recognize that your child is struggling and that they aren't trying to make you mad. Your child is not giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time and go from there. Remember, this is about empowering you as the parent to know your child best and to do what's best for your child. And when you're thinking about connection, when instead of control, and when you're thinking, oh, my child is not giving me a hard time, my child is having a hard time, what what can I do to help them? That's where you get that power as a parent to figure out what to do. That's where you get those answers, where a podcast, a book, nothing can tell you. There's no how-to because I don't know what exactly your situation is going to be. I don't know exactly how your child is made up and what they're going to feel. I don't know any of that. So I can't tell you exactly how to do this. But when you are connecting, when you are thinking, my child is not giving me a hard time, my child is having a hard time, you've given yourself the power to know what to do. You've given yourself the strength, the understanding, the insight, the connection to know what to do next. Okay. Um, but here are some ways to, some practical things to try. Um, and again, I do still want to stress, you are the expert on your child. So take these ideas if they sound good. If they don't, really try and learn your child and understand what would work. Okay, so if, if hugs don't work, use words, facial expressions, and body language. So first, words. You communicate empathy with your words and that you're here and you're not going anywhere. So you can say, I'm sorry, you're upset. I would be too. And you can still hold whatever boundary you've set, you know, like we're not going to hit or no, I said we can't have cookies for dinner. I'm really sorry that you're upset about that. But you can be empathetic because your kid is upset and that's valid. That's totally valid. And you love your child and you can say, yeah, I can understand why my child is upset right now and I'm going to stay here with them and help them get through it. And you can communicate that with your words. Okay. Second is facial expressions. This is a really cool tip, um, and it was this was again taught to us by the wonderful play therapist I mentioned in this episode, um, and probably a lot through this podcast. She was really life changing for us, uh, but it is to mirror your child's emotions on your face. So when you're saying, and you can't see me, but when when I say this, I'm gonna kind of make a, a, a frown and um, and you know like just sad eyes, and say, oh, "I'm so sorry, you're upset." And I'm so, I'm so sorry. I wish it wasn't that way. Or you really wish that you didn't have to feel this way. When, when you do that, your child is physically seeing on your face how they are feeling. And that feels really validating. So that's, that's a really cool tip. And the third one is to be near your, your child. Use body language to be near your child. If they don't want you to have hugs, you can still be near. Um, so you can get lower than them. That's a really good tip that's in the book called The Whole Brain Child. And they have a really good process for this too. If you actually, you should definitely check that out. It's such a good book. And they do have like a step-by-step process on how to handle emotion, how to handle emotional outbursts in a connected way. And one of the steps is to get lower than your child. And they talk about that a lot because when you're above them, it's intimidating, right? I, I can remember being the little kid and everyone around me is taller. And that that really is an unsettling feeling when you're feeling like you're in trouble or you're feeling like like you're feeling out of control. That's really unsettling. So um, 
so yeah, get down below them. Um, set down whatever's in your hand so that they can see that you're here for them and only them. So you're giving, you're using your body language to say, I'm here. You can keep your arms open instead of folded across your chest and, you know, like relax your shoulders. Really think about your body language. Are you, are you tense? Are you shaking your finger? Are you doing those types of things? Well, those things are probably going to make your child feel, um, not good, right? So you can you can focus on that and say, what is my body language saying to my child? And use your body language to connect with your child. Um, and then finally, plan to stay there for however long it takes. When you have that mindset, I'm going to connect, I'm going to do this no matter what, you keep going back to, how can I connect right now? How can I communicate to my child that they are safe? Eventually, your child is going to get it. Um, they might run away. Uh, and that's okay if you're at home. <laughs> if, if you're out in public, that's a different story. But stay put. Tell them that's okay. I'm here when you're ready. Park yourself outside their, their bedroom door and say, hey, sweetie, I'm going to be out here when you're ready for a hug, when you're ready to to, to whatever, to talk, whatever. I'm, I'm out here. I love you. I'm not going away. You know, um, I used to do this with my with my son, when he was a toddler, he would run away. He didn't want the hug. He just ran away. So I would just sit down in the living room and say, that's okay, sweetie, I'm here. And he he was so cute because he was a toddler. This is, of course, different for older kids, but, but he'd peek around the corner at me. And when he saw me looking, he'd run away again. And then eventually he'd get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then he'd come running and give me a big hug. And and so that, that worked really well. Um, with teenagers, it can work well too. You know, like they stomp away and they do not want you near them, you can you can go and just tap on the door and say, hey, sweetie, I'm going to be in the kitchen finishing up dinner. I really, really love you. And I really want to, to talk to you um, when you're done and help you feel better. So please feel free to come and get me when you want me. Um, you know, that, that type of thing, even if you can't physically be near them, you're still using um, your words and your actions to show that you're totally ready to be connected to them when they're ready. Okay. So hopefully that all makes sense. And again, I do want to say like, it's you, you're going to have the inspiration that is necessary for your child and your relationship and what your child needs. Because, because when you're focusing on connection, that's just the power that you get. That's just what comes along with it. So it's so beautiful. And also none of this is easy. (laughs) And I, I, I want to say that all the time in all of my podcast episodes because none of this is easy. Please don't feel bad if you're if you're struggling with any of this. It is hard. Just keep doing your best. Okay. Another helpful tip is the acronym HALT. I love this one. This is so helpful. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And it's really helpful to check those things during a hard time. Is your hung- child hungry right now? Angry, lonely, tired. And my little boy taught me this really, really well when he was just two years old. And I wrote a blog post about it then. And I'm, I'm going to read that now because it's, it's really il- illustrative of this concept. Okay, so here's the blog post. Like any good two-year-old, Rex can be moody. Most of the time, he's an absolute delight. But when he's moody, watch out. We were at the grocery store recently when he suddenly decided it was time to go into an angry funk. <laughs> he wanted a sucker. He wanted the cat food from the shelf. He wanted to tell me something really important, and then he didn't want to tell me anything at all. Now, in a good mood, there are four appropriate responses to Rex's whining. One, repeat what he just said so he knows he's being listened to. Two, tell him I'm sorry he's upset. Three, distract him with something else. 
for ignore him. This one actually doesn't work, but I'm a human and I still try it. (laughs) One of these is bound to soothe his tantrums when we're dealing with regular run-of-the-mill frustration. But when he gets in these particularly intense moods, nobody knows what he wants, not even Rex himself. He began by begging for the sucker. So I combined response number one and two. Um, Repeat what he said and tell him I'm sorry he's upset. And I said, you want the sucker, buddy? I'm so sorry. No, he screamed loud enough for anyone on the other side of the store to hear. I not buddy. I then moved on to response number four and ignored him. Not surprisingly, it didn't help. He cried about the toothbrush I was letting him hold, so I offered to put it in the basket. No, I hold it, he shouted. Okay, I said, you hold it. No, I talking to Emma, came his angry reply as he looked at his sister Emma. And then he threw the toothbrush in the basket, only to immediately turn around and try and reach for it again. I attempted to use response number three and distract him by asking him to help me find the Cheerios. No, I want Lucky Charms. Of course. (laughs) Response number one and number two again. You want Lucky Charms? I'm sorry. No, I was talking to myself. (laughs) And on and on. At the beginning of our shopping shenanigans, I had been greeted by several store employees as we passed them throughout the store. But as his crying, yelling, and protesting grew louder and more frequent, I noticed we were suddenly a little floating island. (laughs) Nobody was coming near us. Not that I minded the space. And then, in front of the canned tomatoes, Rex was done. He grew tired of my rotating responses and finally figured out how to just tell me what was wrong. Help me feel better, he shouted at me. Because of the shouts mixed with his tears, I misinterpreted his meaning, and I thought he was telling me that he felt better, even though he obviously didn't, but you can't expect accuracy with toddlers. So I used response number one and said, oh, you feel better now? No. I really didn't expect a different answer, but it was worth a try. No, he shouted again and spoke more slowly so his dense mother could understand. Help me feel better. Finally understanding, and with my heart breaking into a million pieces, (laughs) I stopped the cart, leaned in, and hugged him hard while I whispered about how much I love him. He calmed down right away and let me dry his tear-streaked cheeks. I couldn't believe that's all he needed. (laughs) He probably needed it right from the get-go, but I was too focused on trying to placate him that I didn't even think to just reach out and show him he is loved. Now, there's an acronym I sometimes use that helps me understand what my kids need during a tantrum. HALT. When your child is feeling anxious, moody, or just generally unwell, have you checked to make sure they're not H hungry, A angry, L lonely, or T tired? I definitely knew Rex was angry, as did everyone else in the store, and I had no doubt he was tired. I suspected he was hungry, but it never occurred to me he might be feeling lonely. No, he wasn't by himself, but he was still lonely. He was being misunderstood and probably wasn't feeling validated for his feelings at all. And I know that feeling. Sometimes I can't pin down the precise thing that's bothering me, but I know I just feel like nobody gets me. So as we finished our trip through the store, I stopped during a few more meltdowns to give Rex a validation hug. And when we rounded the corner to the produce and remembered the free bananas that Smith's makes available, I was eager to cross off the big, fat, hungry from Rex's HALT acronym. 
Unfortunately, tired was still stronger than hungry. I peeled the banana peel all the way off, which apparently ruined Rex's plans. No, he shouted, tears springing to his eyes. I want to be a monkey. I didn't know this, but his big sister Emma was there to helpfully tell me that monkeys eat their bananas with peels pulled only halfway down. (laughs) The more you know, I guess. At Smith's, you're only supposed to take one free fruit per child. But this time, I greedily took two so I could peel the second banana in the correct way (laughs) and let Rex be a monkey, gosh darn it. If anyone noticed, I don't think they cared. In fact, they probably cheered. He was much quieter as a monkey after all. And as he happily ate as a monkey, I sighed and threw some Andy's mints into the cart for myself on the way to the register. After all, I needed to take care of the hungry in my own HALT acronym. Okay, that kind of makes me laugh now. Rex is seven now, and he's my youngest, so we're really far from that stage of two-year-olds, but wow, I can remember those days so clearly. It was so hard. Rex is a special kid who has always been able to tell me how he's feeling and what he needs. It's, it's really unique, and it's a gift he has for himself, but it's also this really beautiful gift that he gives to me because I wasn't on my way to learning that lesson five years ago. He had to spell it out for me help me feel better. That's all he needed. He just needed love and attention and connection and validation and a nap probably. (laughs) But those other things were really what he was begging for. And somehow as a two-year-old, he knew it. And because he was also able to communicate it to me, I learned that very profound lesson that I think is applicable to every single parent-child relationship. When our children are melting down, they really need us to help them feel better. Now, again, what happens years down the road? People often hear this concept and wonder if the child is going to become too dependent on their parents. Well, you can look this up, but the literature says that children actually learn to self-regulate when they get this co-regulation from their parents. So they don't need their future boss to do this for them. <laughs> That's something I hear a lot. Like, oh, this this sounds lovely, but how how is your child going to handle their future boss? Is their future boss going to have to give them a hug and calm them down? No. No, (laughs) that's not how this works because they become emotionally strong before they get to that point. It's fascinating. It really is. And it's so encouraging to know this because because we don't have to stress about it. We're not we're not uh, babying them. We're not spoiling them by helping them feel better. We're teaching them to regulate their emotions so that they can then go and do that when we're not around. Isn't that beautiful? And anecdotally, I've seen this happen in my family. So Rex, who has had this type of parenting since he was two, is incredibly emotionally resilient. Yes, at seven, he still needs help calming down sometimes, but those are in his worst times. And the worst times rarely happen. More often than not, he calms down very quickly, either with our help or on his own. He's also, this is really cool, he's able to comfort other people. And he has these deep wells of compassion for other people. Now, this could be a fluke. You could be listening and saying, okay, that's great. That's that's this one kid. He's an intuitive child, as I've already said. But the change I've seen in our older girls over the last five years leads me to trust this process more than anything. Because our oldest was the type who had really extreme meltdowns. Now, I've shared about that on the podcast several times, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But escalation was the name of the game. That was the only thing that happened as we parented with consequences and control instead of connection. It was just escalation, escalation, escalation. But almost immediately when we began connecting instead of controlling, the escalation ended. It wasn't 
it wasn't all overnight, but some of the meltdowns did simply evaporate into thin air. I am not lying. This is exactly what happened. And now as a teenager, she's capable of calming herself down, letting us talk to her, hearing feedback, apologizing on her own for mistakes and so much more. So if you have a kid who just escalates, you're going to, you understand me when I say that I never thought that was going to be possible. Like our fights were so big and so often I didn't see an end to them. So, so like I say, like the literature supports this and my own, my own little family, um, experiment has worked out well for us as well. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that I know everything. We're not done raising our kids. We're certainly still missing things. We're certainly still making mistakes, but I do want to say that both the literature and our anecdotal experiences lead me to believe that connection instead of correction is worth the effort. Okay, now another helpful tip is to analyze when meltdowns are happening. Are they always at a certain time? Maybe bedtime, maybe when it's time to leave for school, maybe when it's time to do homework, maybe at any transition throughout the day. So think it through. Is there some sort of trigger? If you can identify that, then you can change your child's environment or teach your child to change their environment over time, empower them with that skill too, so that they can better manage their emotions. So for example, we used to have the biggest meltdowns when it was time to get out the door in the morning. My husband and I were always stressed about our daughter making it to the bus on time and she hated how we rushed her. So she would just melt down, which would then make make it take longer to get ready, which would make us stress out more and put more pressure on her. And it was just awful. She would often go to the bus stop in tears and we would were just left like shaking our heads, not knowing what we could do differently. Because, you know, there's a schedule to keep. How can our kid not understand that? But then we were finally introduced to an app called Brilly. And I'm definitely going to recommend that here. And I want you to know I'm not getting anything out of telling you about this. Now, Brilly was a marketing client of mine. So I know I know this product really well. But that was years ago when they were starting out. The company has since been sold. I'm not affiliated with it in any way. I just really love it. I'm really passionate about it. And I love to share about it because it really transformed those mornings for us. And it just made it so there was less to fight about in our relationship. So it's a routines app that is game-based. You set up the routine and your kids try and beat the clock. Now, every person I've recommended it to has told me it was transformative for them. So I'm going to tell you too, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, our seven-year-old is using it right now to get ready in the mornings, and it's it's so helpful. It just, uh, where before he was he was struggling to remember what to do, and he was he was getting annoyed with us, telling him what the next thing was, and it felt like we were nagging when we started using this again. It, it changed everything. Like the, it, he looks forward to it. It's easy. And the cool thing about it, I didn't mean to go on for so long, but I really love this app. The cool thing about it is they kind of outgrow the need for using it because they learn how to follow that routine and it becomes routine to them. And so eventually when they're older, they they don't necessarily need it anymore. So that's that's really cool too. It teaches skills uh, along the way as you go. So anyway, I'm going to, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, okay. What else can you do with, with transitions? You can make things playful. You can use music. You can create visual cues for what's coming next. Um, I've heard of people, um, setting a playlist for the morning. And so when this song is playing, they're brushing their teeth. When this song is playing, they're putting on their shoes and socks. And it's kind of nice because they can, they know the song well, they know what's coming next and they can transition on their own without their parents telling them. 
Okay, what else? Um, you can pay attention to your child's sensory responses. So maybe they get overwhelmed in a loud environment. So if you turn the TV off in the morning, they'll do better. And I'm I'm not talking about just kids with sensory processing disorder. Like we all have sensory um, things that we like better than other things. So, so paying attention to that can be helpful. Uh, maybe they get overwhelmed with textures. So if you let them pick out their own clothes the night before, they're going to feel less anxious about what they have to wear the next day. You know, the, these are just some suggestions. And again, sensory pro- processing disorder is a bigger issue and and a different beast. So I'm I'm not trying to uh, to say I'm solving that that challenge. I'm just saying it's helpful to look at sensory challenges for all children. Okay, so these are all ideas for how to help if your child is struggling with transitions, because that's something that that causes a lot of meltdowns is, is when kids don't, um, don't, uh, handle transitions well, but what if, what if that's not their issue or, or they have other issues? Like maybe they struggle with being separated from you or with bullying at school or with a difficult curriculum at school, or maybe they have a learning disorder, any number of things. The idea is to see if you can locate a pattern or triggers. So does your child tend to melt down at certain times, in certain places, during certain transitions, when encountering certain situations or people? If you can find that pattern, pay attention to it and see how you can change their environment. Or again, teach them to change their environment over time so that they can be more successful in those moments. Because that's what we want, right? Okay, and my final tip is to schedule positive, connective times into your regular life. I'm talking about the times when you all set your screens down and you do something together. There are loads of ways to do this, and my podcast and social media offer suggestions, but you you could also just Google special time with kids or connecting activities with kids, and you're going to have 100 bajillion ideas. (laughs) Now, don't get overwhelmed by these ideas. Just set aside regular time when you can have positive connections. And it can be simple, like five minute slots in the morning and at night. It can be an entire Saturday. Just make sure it's a priority. Now, this is hard to do as busy families. It really, really is. And I'm not intending to make anyone feel guilty. This is just a reminder that your time and attention improves your child's behavior. It does. So not only is it good to build your relationship with quality time, like it's great. We want to build our relationships, but it also improves everyone's behavior. So I'll put a link to my podcast episode, 13 Easiest Ways to Connect with Your Kids for some pretty quick ideas. Um, But also trust yourself on this one. Follow your interests and your child's interests and and see see where it takes you. I, I think one of the most helpful things is just kind of either having this as part of a routine, like maybe every night you have uh you you read books or something like that, or setting it on your calendar, like on Thursday, we're going to go for a bike ride, you know, something like that. And then also you can use my back and forth journal for parents and kids to help you make positive connections when you aren't even in the same room. That's what's so great about it. It's a fun downloadable journal with insightful and fun prompts for each of you to answer and then leave on each other's pillow. And it feels really special to do this together. And it also can offer some deep insight into what's going on in your child's mind. It's a great, no fuss way to positively connect with your child. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And that's it. Thank you so much for being here. Remember, your child isn't giving you a hard time. Your child is having a hard time. Let that empower you. Let let that be a a positive parenting mantra that you can say to yourself to remind yourself that you have you you can connect with your child and you can figure out what they need okay you're doing such great work great work and your children are so lucky to have you thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today 
Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com, to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.